humans are social animals and it's our natural instinct to be empathic with others. This sense of kinship, fundamental skill of humans, but also is uh, one of the reasons there's tension between different groups. However, what is a group can be, can be changed, can be manipulated. For example, uh, in modern society, like in the US and Mexico, people uh, are convinced to take as a fundamental part of their identity to be fan of a football team. And uh, this thing that is actually very trivial becomes a very important uh, part of the deep identity of a person. It satisfies our need to belong, but also can get us in trouble if we show the wrong loyalties in the wrong bar at the wrong time. Tolerance at face value is about letting those different from us be themselves. But in practice, is pretending that uh, we are different from ourselves. We have to be with the people that are doing or saying things that we consider to be offensive. And uh, to be tolerant is to pretend that everything is okay. And uh, tolerance is uh, something that uh, can be done when we feel safe and satisfied and that we feel there's plenty of resources. When uh, we feel that uh, there is a shortage of resources and we feel threatened, then uh, it's harder to be tolerant. In these uh, beginnings of the 21st century, uh, we're in a situation of crisis where uh, resources are scarce, so we're afraid. And there is a growing tension among religious and ethnic groups around the world. And uh, the concept uh, itself of tolerance is uh, very difficult to even define. Should we tolerate the intolerant, the racist, the violent? Should we tolerate uh, discourses about uh, being intolerant, about uh, some group of people being uh, above the rest of us? Should we tolerate or allow that uh, people that think uh, that uh, a certain group should have uh, special privileges to get into a position of power? Who decides who's who, what's what? Should openly intolerant people or groups allow to take position of political power? These are uh, dif difficult questions. It's very easy to get in deep trouble down this river. Also, we don't own our own ideas and feelings. We've been manipulated all the time by mass media. However, the media is not a neutral player. The, the media is an instrument of manipulation by the power elite for the masses. It's better to have a simple message, and life is society, the world is complex. So these uh, simple ideas that uh, give us a boogeyman to worry about and to focus our fears are very compelling. The neat and sharp-focused world offered by the establishment, where God is on our side, and the others are evil Muslims, uh, Marxist, uh, communist, uh, hungry hordes of barbarians is compelling and comforting. For alt-writers, the root of knowledge is a bedrock-centered certainty about the Bible. This, provi uh, this provi provides them with clear, absolute answers, and uh, they see reality as a very clear black and white struggle between good and evil. People consider themselves to be on the, on the side of God. Then, of course, they're the good guys, and uh, they have the firepower to do what needs to be done to protect their rights and properties. Talking about these uh, topics, uh, the, you need to make a reference to Nazism. Robert Paxton defines uh, fascism as a form of political behavior marked by obsessive preoccupation with community decline, humiliation, and victimhood. 
and by compensatory cult of unity, energy, and purity, in which a mass-based party of committed nationalist militants working in uneasy but effective collaboration with traditional elites abandon democratic liberties and pursue with redemptive violence and without ethical or legal restraints goals of cleansing and external expansion. While the political ideology of the alt-right is not uh, the same as uh, the European fascism of the 30s, there is a troubled parallel between the events of the, the middle of the, 21st of the 20th century with the 21st century. So the events that uh, led to Second World War, they have a parallel what's happening right now. The alt-right uh, movement shares with fascism an obsessive preoccupation with community decline, humiliation, and victimhood as well as compensatory calls of unity, energy, and purity, in which a mass-based party of committed nationalist militants embrace a creed of violence and ideology-driven armed militias. Oh, gun owners tend to be among the alt-right. Second Amendment support is a common thread among them. Despite describing themselves as law-abiding citizens, one of the fundamental mantras of them is that guns are a mechanism of check and balance against tyranny. It, uh, it is a fundamental contradiction to describe uh, oneself as, as law-abiding and at the same time claim that sedition is a fundamental right. However contradictory, this, uh, this is not idle talk. There is a trail of actual terrorist activity. For example, the Hutterit militia in Michigan was planning to kill police officers. And uh, Timothy McBain in 1995 blame the U.S. government for attacking American citizens at Waco and Ruby Ridge. Uh, the gun crowd likes to wax eloquent about protecting our natural rights with weapons when the government becomes unconstitutional and all other avenues have failed. They see themselves as law-abiding insurrects, the people against the established order that uh, follow the law in a stricter sense than the government itself. And uh, even more contradictory, you know, they they claim the right to have uh, weapons, but they say that uh, they do not use violence and uh, that they're uh, true Democrats that uh, have confidence in the ballot box, but that uh, you must have the weapon that you don't, you don't, <laughs> you're not planning to use to keep the government from straying too far toward tyranny. It does sound like fools playing with fire, a fire that will get us all burned. In the NRA world, we are only free to the extent that our guns allow us to impose our will on others. Dennis Hennigan of the Brady campaign, gun rights and political violence. Anti-government extremists have long pushed most fiercely during democratic administrations, rabid conspiracy theories about a nefarious new world order. A socialist gone grabbing federal government and the evils of federal law enforcement. In fact, the fear of gun buying restrictions has been the main drive of spikes in gun sales. This far surpassing the effects of the mass shootings themselves. What worries people is not the mass shooting, but the possibility that uh, this mass shooting uh, will uh, provoke uh, gun buying restrictions and there is uh, buying sprees of guns. 
The fundamental duty of government is to keep uh, social peace. So they must keep uh, they they must keep uh, a monopoly in the the use of violence. Otherwise, uh, we have chaos. So the freedom to engage in seditious activities and social peace do not mix. So it's not it's not that easy to to decide what to do or not to do. Few politi uh, political terrorists uh, in recent history has uh, documented his thinking in more detail than Anders Bering. This uh, right-wing Nor Norwegian Islamophobe left uh, a lot of uh, essays about his thinking. And uh, it's uh, remarkable how the, the American conservative movement has been the base of his ideo ideology. Many American writers who influenced Breivik spent years churning out calls for the mass murder of Muslims, Palestinians, and uh, their left-wing Western supporters. This is, uh, this is a continuous discourse. If, uh, if we ask people what they think about uh, violence and terrorism, actually m Muslim Americans are more likely to say military attacks on civilians are never justified. 78% versus 21% that say that sometime is justified. Other uh, groups like uh, Mormons are more likely to say that military attacks are sometimes justified. People that uh, do not uh, identify themselves with the religion are more in line with the Muslims, but uh, they are also more divided. Uh, some Gallup anal analysis tested correlation between the level at which populations say these attacks are sometimes justified and a number of independent indicators. And they found uh, that uh, development and societal stability are uh, strongly related. There is a claim that uh, terrorists are always Muslim, but uh, this is not true. Mm, there are uh, acts of terrorism uh, carried out by Israelis, by Christians. And uh, an FBI study looking at terrorism committed in the United States between 1980 and 2005 found that 94% of uh, terror attacks were committed by non-Muslims. 42% of attacks were carried out by Latino-related groups, followed by 24% of extreme right. So many, at all, not, not only one group, engages in terrorism. And the conflict is not really about religion or race, but power and resources. Human activity is not driven by justice but by power. In a way, justice is the right to, of the strong. One thing is a rational, rational, rationalization used to justify our actions and another the real reason, the real social and psychological motive to engage in violence. And these ulterior motives are not necessarily explicit or even conscious. We ourselves sometimes do not know what we do, why we do what we do. All three Judeo-Christian religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, share the same core barbaric Bronze Age beliefs stated in the Hebrew Bible. And all of them pick and choose what to actually apply to the respective social order. Whether one is considered a Christian or Muslim or a Jew is uh, an accident of geography, not uh, a reflection of actual belief. That is, religion is mainly a marker of cultural identity. Israel, despite all the talk about being a Jewish state, is in practice a, a secular place. 
and there is a vibrant queer community in Israel, despite uh, Judaism being uh, a religion that condemns homosexuality. Israel is in fact one of the world's most progressive countries in terms of equality for sexual minor minorities. Politically, legally and culturally, uh, the homosexual community has uh, ever bigger presence in Israel. On the other side, uh, Islamic fundamentalism is a monster created by the same people crying wolf. The modern Islamic fundamentalist movement has its origins in the 19th century, the Wahhabi movement. But uh, Cold War, following World War II, NATO governments, particularly United States and the United Kingdom, uh, launched covert uh, operations to encourage the strengthening of fundamental Islamic uh, groups to, to make trouble for the Russians in Afghanistan. By the 1970s, uh, Islamists have become important allies in supporting governments uh, like Egypt that is friendly to the U.S. interest. In many cases, the military wings of uh, fundamentalist uh, Islamic uh, groups are supplied with money and arms by the U.S., even, well, at the same time pretending to be fighting them. So fear is one of the, the main sources of uh, violence, and we must overcome these fears and reach out for peace. The choice is to live together or to die together. The following question is trending in Quora with 100 plus answers. When you watch a stadium filled with white people chanting, send her back, about a US congresswoman and our president silently endorses it, what comes up for you? Despite being many answers, I have not looked at all of them, only a handful. But it seems that uh, there are only a few themes that most entries just regurgitate. An obvious and common theme is the reference to Nazi Germany. I found the Nazi link hyperbolic. In fact, most people qualify themselves as exaggerated and point out that, of course, US America 2019 is not Nazi Germany 1935. This reference to fascism is just used as synonym of evil, and not a real thought is given to the meaning of fascism, and thus the reference is just meant as an insult. Fascism is a complex ideology, maybe not really a thing, just a catch name for militaristic dictatorships. There are many definitions of fascism. Some people describe it as a type or set of political actions, political philosophy, or a mass movement. Most definitions agree that fascism is authoritarian and promotes nationalism at all costs, but its basic characteristics are a matter of debate. Robert Paxton, a professor emeritus of social science at Columbia University in New York, defines fascism as a form of political practice distinctive to the 20th century that arouses popular enthusiasm by sophisticated propaganda techniques for an anti-liberal, anti-socialist, violently exclusionary, expansionist, nationalist agenda. Put it like that, there are some points in common between fascism and the US political system, namely the arousal of popular enthusiasm by sophisticated propaganda techniques and the expansionist, nationalist agenda. Going back to Nazi Germany, the Holocaust didn't just happen in 1941. The concentration camps had been operating since 1933. 
The first people sent to the camps were socialists, communists, Jehovah's Witnesses, homosexuals, and other people considered socially deviant. The camps weren't awful places in 1933. Guards who abused prisoners were disciplined and sometimes even prosecuted. There were dozens, probably hundreds, of concentration camps in operation by 1937. Many prisoners died there from abuse or simply from being worked to death. But there still weren't places where people were specifically sent to die. It was just that no one cares whether they died or not. But 1939 mass killings of Jews had started. ProPublica recently published a long story about someone who works for the Border Patrol, this is in the US, and spent time working at one of the camps for uh, illegal immigrants. The Border Patrol agent, a veteran with 13 years on the job, had been assigned to the agency detention center in McAllen, Texas. For close to a month, when a team of court-appointed lawyers and doctors showed up one day at the end of June 2019. Taking on this squalor, the stench of unwashed bodies, and the poor health and vacant eyes of the hundreds of children held there, the group members appeared stunned. Then their outrage rolled through the facility like a thunderstorm. One lawyer emerged from a conference room, clutching her cell phone to her ear, her voice trembling with urgency and frustration. There is a crisis down here, the agent recalled her shouting. At that moment, the agent, a father of two-year-old, realized that something in him had shifted during his weeks in the McAllen Center. I don't know what he's shouting, he remembered thinking. No one at the other end of the line cares. If they did, this wouldn't be happening. The CBP agent in this story is in his late 30s, a husband and a father who served overseas in the military before joining CBP. What happened to me in Texas is that I realized I had walled off my emotions so I could do my job without getting hurt, he said. I see kids crying because they want to see their dads, and I couldn't console them because I had 500 to 600 other kids to watch over and make sure they'd not get in trouble. All I could do was make sure they're physically okay. I couldn't let them see their fathers because that was against the rules. I might not like the rules, he added. I might think that what we're doing wasn't that correct, the correct way to hold children. But what was I going to do? Walk away? What difference would that make to anyone's life but mine? When asked whether he simply stopped caring, he said, exactly. To a point that's kind of dangerous, but once you do, you feel better. Another point made on the core question was that people are irrational, machines with buttons to be pressed by the savvy. The public is not swayed by any standards of truth or even by political debate. What the people want is to be entertained. Humans are instinctively trivial and violent. However, instinctive the trivialism of targeted groups can be manipulated. For example, in my hometown, people have been divided into two groups according to allegiance to soccer teams. 
So how is that something so important or flourishing as a species, being part of a group or tribe, is simultaneously one of the primary forces during the social fabric apart? At the core of trivialism is not truth but belief. Uh, the one thing that you cannot do is reason anyone out of their beliefs. After all, beliefs are not arrived at with reason, and so cannot be dismantled with the same. The human mind has not developed or evolved to get, out of, to, get to the truth, but to stay safe, to survive. So to stay part of the group is a strategy for survival. We use reason in order to get along with other people, to be part of a tribe, which in turn is crucial not just to our sociable nature, but to survival itself. With survival at stake, it is easy to see why the context of a tribe and the safety it represents matters more than logic. Because tribes represent safety in the most fundamental sense. Agreeing with the tribe is a safe default position for a group member, even when it doesn't make sense to do so. A psychology theory, Realistic Conflict Theory, RCT, explains how intergroup hostility can arise as a result of conflicting goals and competing competition over limited resources. And it also offers an explanation for the feelings of prejudice and discrimination toward the old group. That can, okay. Feelings of resentment can especially arise when groups see the competition over resources as having zero sums or winners takes all. The length and severity of the ensuing conflict is based upon the perceived value and shortage of the resources felt to be under threat. According to RCT, positive relations can only be restored if superordinate goals are defined. Superordinate goals are goals that require the, cooper the cooperation of two or more groups to achieve. Consider, for example, global warming. This could be a superordinate goal. However, the issue has been hijacked by the entertainment industry, and the public doesn't actually care to know anything about global warming. They want to be entertained by the tribal debate over global warming. Global warming has become a marker of group identity. In 1954, researcher Musafer Sharif of the University of Oklahoma carried out one of, one of the most famous uh, experiments on the intergroup conflict the famous Roberts Cave State Park study. Early in 1953, the Rockefeller Foundation gave Sheriff $38,000, which in today's dollars is about $350,000, to carry out what I hope would be a career-defining piece of research. Not with rats, but with humans, with human children, 11-year-olds, and neither the children nor their parents have any idea that they were used for an experiment. 
the experiment, uh, the aim of the experiment was to divide the, the boys into two groups and make them sworn enemies via a series of well-timed frustration exercises. Sheriff cover story was that he was running a summer camp in Middle Grove. His plan was to bring a group of boys together, allow them to make friends, then separate them in two factions to compete for a prize. At this point, he believed they would forget their friendship and start demonizing one another. Sheriff planned to set a forest fire in the vicinity of the camp as the closing act. Facing a shared threat, the fire, they will be forced to work together. In Middle Grove, things didn't go according to Sheriff's plan. Despite his pretense of leaving the 11 years old to their own devices, Sheriff and his research staff, posing as camp counselors and caretakers, interfered to engineer the result they wanted. He believed he could make the two groups called the Pythons and the Panthers sworn enemies via a series of well-timed frustration exercises. However, to Sheriff's dismay, the children just couldn't be persuaded to hate each other. After losing a tug of war, the Pythons declared that the Panthers were in fact the better team and deserved to win. The boys concluded that the 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 incidents that were happening were actually the doing of the staff. The boys uh, worked out that they were manipulated. Maybe you just wanted to see what our reaction would be, said one of the boys. The robustness of the boys' civilized values came to as a blow to Sharif. And he was so angry that he, he, he tried to punch one of his assistants. It turned out that the strong bones forked at the beginning of the camp weren't easily broken. And uh, Sharif didn't get to start the fire because he realized that it wasn't going to support his hypothesis. But the Rockefeller Foundation had gave him $38,000. In his mind, perhaps if he came back empty-handed, he would face not just the anger of the Rockefeller Foundation, but the ruin of his reputation. So within a year, he tried again, this time in Robert's cave. He was, determined not, he was determined not to make the same mistakes he made at Middle Grove. There was no mixing at the beginning. Neither the two groups, the Rattlers or the Eagles, were aware of the other's existence until the second day. At Robert's Cave, things went according to plan. After a tug of war in which they were defeated, the Eagles burned the Rattles' flag. Then all hell broke loose and raids on cabins, vandalism, and food fights. Each moment of the confrontation, however, was subtly manipulated by the research team. Having got them to fight, the next stage was the all-important reconciliation and the vindication of Sheriff theory. The researchers next introduced activities with the superordinate goal the attainment of which was beyond the resources of any single group. They, they cut the, the water supply and forced the kids to work together to drink water. The sheriffs made several conclusions based on the three-stage Robert's Cave experiment. From the study, uh, they determined that because the groups were created to be approximately equal, 
Individual differences are not necessarily responsible for the conflict between the groups. As seen in the study, when the boys were competing in camp games, Sheriff noted that hostility and aggressive attitudes towards one group arise when groups compete for resources that only one group can have. Sharif also established that contact with a group is insufficient to lower the negative attitudes, and the friction between the groups can only be reduced when a superordinate goal is set. There was a similar experiment carried out by Lofty Dive in uh, Beirut, the Blue Ghost and the Red Genies. These groups have a mixing of Christians and Muslims, and fighting soon broke up, not between Christians and Muslims, but between blue and red. RCT offers an explanation for negative attitudes toward racial integration and efforts to promote diversity. This is illustrated, for example, in data collected from the Michigan National Election Studies. According to the survey, most whites held negative attitudes towards school district attempts to integrate schools via school bus busing in the 70s. In these surveys, there was a general perceived threat that whites had of African Americans. It can be concluded that contempt toward racial integration was due to perception of blacks as a danger to value lifestyle goals and resources. RCT can also provide an explanation for why competition over limited resources in communities can present potential harmful consequences in establishing successful organizational diversity. RCT provides an explanation of this pattern because in communities of mixed race, members of minority groups are competing for economic security, power, and prestige with the majority group. RCT can help explain discrimination against different ethnic and racial groups. In cross-cultural studies, determine that violence between different groups escalates in relationship to shortages of resources. When a group has a notion that resources are limited and only available for possession by one group, this leads to attempts to remove the source of competition. Groups can attempt to remove the competition by increasing their group capabilities, decreasing the abilities of the outgroup, negative attitude or applying punishment, punishment, or by decreasing the proximity of the outgroup, for example, denying access to immigrants. So trivialism is a neutral tool that can be used for evil or good, and then can get out of control of the social Frankensteins. The object of the Send Her Back chant is Democratic Representative Ilan Omar of Minnesota, who moved from Somalia as a child. Her colleagues also target of similar attacks, Representatives Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, and Ayanna Presley of Michigan are native-born EU citizens. The crowds sent her back, shouts resounded for 13 seconds as Trump made no attempt to interrupt them. The next day he claimed he did not approve of the chant and tried to stop it, but on Friday he made clear he was not disavowing the chant and again 
lays into Omar, the target of the chant. You can talk that way about our country, not when I'm president, Trump said. These women have said horrible things about our country and the people of our country. Our capacity for critical thinking is easily derailed by what we notice and how we feel at any given moment. We, we, we humans are so susceptible to reasoning errors that only takes the power of suggestions sway us like a reed in the wind. The suggestion doesn't even have to be relevant. You just made it. Some of the answers of the core question try to justify the mob chanting by equating Islam to terrorist ideology or labeling Representative Omar as anti-American and obnoxious for saying things like, by principle I'm anti-war because I survived a war. I'm also anti-intervention. I don't think it ever makes sense for any country to intervene in a war zone with the fallacy of saving lives when we know that we're going to cause more deaths. I also don't believe in forced regime change. Change needs to come from within. Or accusing Omar of anti-Semitism for criticizing Israel and endorsing the boycott of Israel's state, the VDS. Ilan Omar said in January, January 2019, I don't know how my comments would be offensive to Jewish Americans. When asked about an old tweet of hers that said Israel had hypnotized the world. You might disagree with Omar about Israel or what to do or not to do about the conflict between the Israel state and the Palestinians, but equating criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism and anti-Americanism is just a straw man fallacy. <laughs>